Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Mark chapter number 9. Mark chapter uh, number 9. And let me uh, get out my cheat sheet of things that I need to say because I horribly failed in the first service of some things that I need to address uh, as you're turning. Uh, this is Valentine's week. And thank you, church. This is uh, birthday week and Valentine's week. Thank you for the gift. Um, and I uh, love you guys and appreciate all that we get to do uh, together. Uh, but this is Valentine's week, and we do have, uh, we have about 25 widows here in the church, and we got flowers for all of our widows this year. And uh, I do want to give a, sh- a shout out to our florist, uh, Upsy Daisy here in Fishersville. They actually donated all the flowers this year uh, to all of our widows. And so we shared with them what we were doing. Yeah, you can, ca- you can clap. And so if you're one of our regular attenders and uh, you're a widow, if you'll stop by uh, the table on the way out and you pick your flowers, and I think we have enough for everybody, uh, but just wanted to uh, let you know that. Uh, it, it had to happen eventually. Uh, we had another basketball game yesterday for ACA, and we got spanked, uh, spanked. And so uh, yesterday was our first loss of the season, but the boys had a great attitude about it. And so 4-1, uh, and one, not too shabby. Our last game is this coming Saturday, and uh, be pr- playing Grace Christian uh, in Stanton. And so, um, not playing at Grace Christian, but playing them. And so, you can check online, social media, if you want to come to the game this coming Saturday at 9 o'clock. And uh, you can get the information of where uh, they're going to be playing this coming Saturday uh, at 9 o'clock. And uh, before I say anything, I want to point out a miracle in the room. And now, uh, Logan Corbin is sitting right over there this morning. And uh, many of you don't know, Logan had a very serious car accident several months ago, and today's his first service back. And uh, it's good to see you, brother. And uh, glad you're here. And I remember going visiting the hospital, and uh, Roger was touch. It was touch and go, man, not knowing what was going to happen next. And so you guys get to see a miracle today. And uh, so it's awesome that the Lord, every now and then, just uh, throws one right in front of us and we get to see it. And so when that happens, we want to point people to the one who did that. Not us, not a team of doctors, that's all Jesus sitting right there. And so uh, we praise him for that. And uh, Logan, it's good to have you back, man. Glad you're here. Uh, Mark chapter number 9. Mark chapter number 9. Have you ever been involved in a dispute Maybe with a coworker or a friend or family member, and I don't really know uh, what's going on, why it's going on, and uh, maybe you've gotten involved in an argument. But how would you feel if, in the middle of that dispute, Jesus poked his head in your conversation and said, "What are y'all talking about?" How would you respond? How would you come back? Well, y'all, they said, or uh, I did, or whatever. Uh, But that's how, imagine how the disciples feel here in Mark chapter number 9 when that happens. When they are arguing, who's going to be the greatest? Who's the best disciple? And Jesus stops them and says, what y'all talking about? Uh, When we get to Mark chapter 9, verse number 33 gives us a great pattern uh, in these next sequence of verses. And Jesus gives them a pecking order and a purpose in this. A pecking order and a purpose. Let's look at Mark 9, verse 33. Read a couple verses and then we'll pray this morning. The Bible says, And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves 
Who should be the greatest? And he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, if you want to be number one, if you want to be first, the same shall be last of all. If you have a desire to be first, you have to first be last. Last of all, and he quantifies that, and servant of all. What a great picture of who Jesus is, isn't it? The fact that he was everyone's servant. Luke chapter 19 says he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus is actually saying, guys, if you want to lead, you have to be like me. If you want to lead, you've got to be last and servant of all. So with that thought process, let's pray and then we'll dive right into our text today. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how you show us a perfect example of servant leadership by pointing to yourself. You are the ultimate example, uh, Lord, of who we should be. And we learn that by simply following you. Now, Lord, I ask that you please speak to our hearts. Please arrest our attention for these next few moments and show us how we can walk closer to you. Lord, as a church family, as individuals, Lord, please help us to honor you by serving others. Lord, I ask that you please help us to see ourselves. And know, as the title of this series, it does hurt to serve. And that is going to require tough decisions ahead for us. But Lord, help us to serve others, Lord, by serving you. Lord, please speak to my heart. Cleanse me of sin. Lord, anything in my life that's not pleasing to you, please forgive me and help me to be clean as I preach your word. Lord, I ask that you please speak to others. And Lord, if there's someone in the room or watching online that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, please show them their great need today and help them to come to you for salvation. We love you. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for, uh, Lord, even the miracles in the room. Lord, not just with Logan's life, but with others. Uh, Lord, things that you have shown us. Lord, being with us. And Lord, proving your power in our lives. Uh, Lord, help us to see that evidence. And Lord, help that to cause us to be devoted to you in a greater way. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down number one, the dispute. And I do hope that you got a sermon handout. Uh, those are helpful. You've got announcements on the back of that. And uh, from time to time when we do our sermon-based small groups, those allow you to keep track and lean in there. But uh, the dispute, the dispute. Jesus and his men travel to Capernaum, familiar place, a port city on the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee. We've got a picture there uh, for you to see on the screen. And right there in the middle of Galilee, you see the Sea of Galilee kind of on the right side. And Capernaum on the northwest edge, we know that that was a very popular place for Jesus to minister to. It's Peter's hometown. If you look even closer on the map, there at the Sea of Galilee, on the next slide, you'll see uh, this is even closer. You see on the top of, say it on the right, you see Capernaum on the left. And Jesus did a lot of ministry there. But think about as they travel going into Capernaum, they enter into a house. And when they get there, Jesus already knows about the argument. And he asks, and we see the placement that is mentioned there on your handout, the placement Imagine traveling with Peter, James, and John all the time. These are the same group that's known as the inner circle. They got to do more with Jesus than most. They all knew that. They witnessed these three men, witnessed the transformation of Jesus at the beginning of Mark chapter number 9 and verse 1 through 9. 
Remember, James and John's mom was the one who came to Jesus asking for her sons to be recognized. In uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 and 21, it tells us that Zebedee's children, her sons, the mother, their mom, worshipped him and said, I want to talk to you about something. And he said, what wilt thou? In verse 21, what is it that you would like? And she said, grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy kingdom. Hey, I want my two sons to have the prime seats at the table when you come into your kingdom. James and John. Remember when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26, the Bible tells us in verse 36, Jesus cometh with them unto a place called Gethsemane, saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he takes that inner circle with him, traveling with him. And this was an intense rivalry between the disciples and these three. And while they're traveling, maybe brought on by the fact that they had just seen the transfiguration, even though they weren't allowed to talk about it based on what Jesus said. But maybe that conversation of, you know, we get to do things that y'all don't. Y'all won't understand. You ever had somebody say that? You just wouldn't understand. You just wouldn't, you, you aren't there, you don't know, uh, you wouldn't understand, and it kind of makes you feel out of the loop, doesn't it? Uh, as one uh, character said, I love inside jokes, one day I hope to be a part of one. Uh, so you think about all of these different things uh, about this inner circle, and uh, they're fighting about the rank. They're fighting about the rank of disciples. They each had a reason. That they would be the greatest. Hey, I, I've got my close time with Jesus. I should be the first. They each had their own reason. But Jesus asks about it. When they get to verse number 33, and he asks, well, what were you talking about? But then he teaches them a valuable lesson in verse number 35. And he says, if any of you desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And he taught this principle. If you're going to lead, you have to be able to serve. If you're going to lead, if you're ever going to be a leader, you have to first understand that you have to be a servant. We call that servant leadership. You have to be able to know to serve. And Jesus didn't just say it, he lived it. Remember when they were in the upper room, John chapter 13, the night of Jesus' betrayal? What does he do? Is he celebrating? Is he high-fiving? Is he chest-bumping? I mean, what's he doing? No, he's serving. In John 13, he gives them the example, washes their feet, and then he says in verse 14, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, truthfully, truthfully, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent if we're ever, you and I, are ever given an opportunity to lead, we must first have an opportunity to serve. And we must serve well. Good leaders serve well. They serve other people. Paul Tripp said this, I love this quote, The success of a ministry is always more a picture of who God is than a statement about who the people are that he is using for his purpose. It's a picture of him. But are you serving today to be seen of other people? Are you serving to be recognized? Are you serving just so that people say, good job? Or are you serving because you want God to use you for something that he may never accomplish, you may never accomplish on your own? 
Are you serving for that purpose? Are you serving so that other people will say, good job? We see the the dispute here and how we see the placement of these men. But then Jesus talks about the priority. In verse 36 and 37, Jesus uses a live object lesson. Look at verse 36. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. He's using this child as an example of how they were to serve with affection. They weren't supposed to treat that kid like a rag doll and just toss him around. They were supposed to lovingly serve other people. Now, I'm not supposed to serve the Lord because I can and abuse authority. I'm supposed to serve the Lord because he loved me enough to give himself for me. And because I want to be like him, that leads me to service. Because I'm going to be like Jesus and he was a servant, that means that I need to be a servant. I need to serve other people. This is a question about reception, not one of regard. It's not about who's first and who's last and who's going to be leading and who's going to be serving and who's going to be following. This is all about our attitude and our mindset of value and how I receive those with whom I'm serving. How do I value those people? Do I act like somebody owes me something? Like I'm a leader, you guys get to serve me. Because I'm the leader, you know, my name's on the sign. Serve me. Is that my attitude, my action? Uh, it, am I looking like I've arrived, like I've done something big and notable? Or am I treating people with devotion? Like, hey, I, I want to serve. Where I'm willing to stop a conversation to, hurt, to help someone who's hurting. Where I'm willing to go out of my way to help that person who's in need. Am I looking at people that way? Because Paul made it very clear in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 3 And I don't believe that he's just talking about certain people in the church. I think he's talking about everybody in the church. This should be our mindset. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Just a great reminder for all of us, just to reset, refocus, refresh. We're not worth anything. And the moment we start thinking we are, Jesus will prove that we're not. Remember, John 15, verse 5 is still in the Bible when Jesus said, Without me, you can do nothing. We need him. We have to respond. We have to serve like we need him. We have to value other people the way that he values other people and serve in that way. I I like uh, when we were growing up, we had a game that we used to play that I don't ever know that we ever finished. Anybody ever played Monopoly? All right. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Eh? You think about the fact that somebody always got ticked off. Uh, Somebody said, I'm done. Somebody said, I'm not playing anymore. Uh, Somebody said, "Uh, this is dumb. I'm not going to do this. I'm not playing anymore. I'm I'm done. But I don't know that we ever finished a game of Monopoly. Like, literally finished. Maybe you did. I don't know that my family ever did. We always got frustrated or tired or bored or, hey, I, I, I lost my game piece. Something, you know, whatever. But think about monopoly money. All right, there's ones, fives, tens, twenties, uh, hundreds, and 
five hundreds, fifties, hundreds, five hundreds. You know, so literally, according to Monopoly, I have thousands of dollars in my hand, according to Monopoly. You know, there's always that one person that has all the money in Monopoly. I'm not talking about the banker. I'm talking about that one person who just gets all the money, all right? But how foolish would it be for you to go to lunch today and them to bring your bill out? And you just say, oh, I got lots of money. And you pull this out on the table and you start, here, take a little extra for yourself, you know? They would laugh at you. They would think something is bad wrong with you. Don't tell them what church you go to. Uh, but you think about how foolish. You, you go to the grocery store, pull out Monopoly. Nobody in their right mind does that. Nobody's going to do that. Why? Because we understand that outside of Monopoly, this has no value. None whatsoever. Outside of a game, this has no value. But do you realize this is what we think of our lives? We look at our life and say, you see how big I am? You see how much I'm worth? Do you see how much I do? You see, Man, I'm spreading my wealth all over the place. And sadly, sometimes this is how we view other people. We look at it on the flip side and say, you know what? They're not worth anything. They're, they're like Monopoly money. They're not worth anything. And those people, those little snotty-nosed kids, you know, they're, they're not worth anything. They're kids, Pastor. Some of those kids are sitting in this room right now serving your kids. Because somebody invested in them. Somebody said they're of great value. Somebody said, hey, they're worth more than Monopoly money. Hey, so when you sit back and you say, my effort, my involvement isn't making a difference. You're looking at people like Monopoly money. Because everybody has value. You know, we might say, how many of you want this stack? And unless you're out of money at your, in your Monopoly box, or you've misplaced it throughout the years and you're looking to replace it, this has very little value. If I said, hey, this is going to be out on the lobby table, your kids might come up and pick it up and be like, ooh, but most adults are going to be like, nah, I don't need that. But, you know, if I put $4 on the table out there, it'd be gone. That's right, Mark. Yeah, Mark's going to take it. Uh, so, but you know what? You know why? It might not be but just $4. But because of what's behind this, you know the value of this. It might not be worth much one day, but right now, this is four bucks. Hey, you take four bucks, you can go to Sheets and get a pretty good sandwich. And call me crazy, but it is pretty good. Uh, but you can get this body from eating salad. Uh, so, but why? Hey, there's, there's a whole lot more of this, but we know this has no value. But we know what's behind this. And even though this might not be as much Compared to this, because of what's behind this, we attribute more value to this. Do you realize that even one of these is worth more than all this? Do you realize that even one person, because of who's inside them, is worth more than all the talent and all of the amount of gifts that you might think that you possess? One person is of greater value than all that because of who's inside that person. Hey, for without me, you can do nothing. It all comes back to who's inside. 
But is that how we value people? Do we look at people and say, you know what, because Jesus can change their life. Somebody help me here. Because Jesus can change their life, I'm going to invest. Because Jesus can change them and use them. And man, they might be rough around the edges and they might have some issues. And they might not look the part. They might not say the part. They might not act the part all the time. They might not look like Jesus. But because what he's doing inside them, there's great value. That's how we need to see people, church. Do you realize that that's how we're supposed to see people when we walk in on Sunday morning? Let me just park here for a second. This is second service. Y'all got plenty of time. Uh, But this is how we need to see people when we come into church on Sunday morning. Can y'all follow me here for just a second? This is how we need to see people when we come in on Sunday morning. When you walk in, because all of us are prone to do this. Where's my friends? Where's my friends? Who am I going to talk to today? Oh, there they are. And we gravitate to the people that we're closest to. While there's somebody of great value sitting somewhere else who's hurting, who's in need, and they feel like they're all alone. If I told you that somewhere in this room there was a $100 bill taped underneath one of these chairs, Every one of you would be looking right now. For, I'm not waiting for the pastor to get done with the message. I'm going to look right now. Honey, we're going to Outback for lunch, you know. But what if I said the person sitting in that chair is greater value than 100 bucks? Would you go out of your way to spend time with the person sitting in that seat? Hey, I, I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir, okay? And when I point fingers, I got three pointing back at me. But that's how we need to operate, church. When people come into this room, we're not all squeaky clean like we clean up on the outside, on the inside. We've got hurts. We've got failures. We've got disappointments. Some folks in this room have blown it this past week. And they feel miserable right now. And they need to know that somebody loves them. It's easy for us to say, Jesus loves you. Jesus cares. Jesus is there. But we're supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We're supposed to be the physical representation of the Lord in people's lives. But that only happens when we see value. Do you see value in people? It's time for you and I to be a servant. For us to see people the way that Jesus sees people. And the quote is this. Am I evaluating those that I serve to the level of worth that Jesus placed on them when he died for them? Jesus valued them enough to lay down his life. Hey, do we value people enough to not have a 10-minute conversation with our friend so that we can invest over here in somebody who Jesus valued enough to die for? Hey, church is not just about coming to spend time with our friends. You can take your friend to Starbucks this week, but that person may never come back that is hurting right now. Hey, God forbid, that person might not be here next week. Something tragic happens and we say, oh, well, but you don't know what part you play in that person's life. Be willing to be a servant. We see the dispute that they had. Be first. I want to be first. And Jesus said, hey, I'd rather you have the mentality that you're last. We see the distinction, number two. You ever seen one of those late night infomercials? 1999, and then you hear that famous catchphrase, but wait, there's more, you know? 
Peter spoke up, destroyed his integrity at the beginning of the chapter. The disciples are arguing in the middle of the chapter. I'm throwing money all over the place. Nobody jump. It's just Monopoly. Uh, but now John is going to cause a problem. Look at verse number 38. And John answered him saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name. I love this. And he followeth not us. Did you get that? He followeth not us. He could have said, he doesn't follow you. He could have said, they're not following you, Jesus. He followeth not us. Keep reading. And we forbade him. Told him to stop. Because he followeth not us. We see the followers mentioned here. Ironically, there were people doing what the disciples couldn't do. Remember that? Remember this man comes and says, I brought my son to your disciples and they couldn't help him, so I'm bringing him to you. That was last week. But they're going now to outside sources finding help. This is a classic picture of jealousy. Hey, they're doing stuff that we can't do, so we told them to stop because they're not following us, Jesus. Uh, let, me, let me make it practical today. You know how we do it in church? They're not using our music. They're not using our version of the Bible. Uh, they're not dressed like we are. We're more spiritual. They're too worldly. They use screens. We use songbooks. They do it all this way. We do it all this way. They're not like us. Every time somebody says stuff like that, all I hear is Charlie Brown's parents. It all just turns into mumbling. But shouldn't our response be the response of John the Baptist in John 3.30? He must increase and I must decrease. How about Paul's response in Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, when he said, What then, notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Doesn't matter. At the end of the day, if it points to Jesus, then why are we against it? Doesn't have to be just like we've always done it to bring people to Jesus. If our main focus for someone not doing something for Jesus is because they don't do it the way we do it, then how are we any different than the Pharisees? That's what they did. This Jesus thing is radical. That's not what we do. It doesn't have to look like we do. Why should I care how another town and church points people to Jesus as long as people are being pointed to Jesus? Shouldn't I rejoice when people are reached for the cause of Christ? There's a reason that I don't check Facebook on Sunday afternoons. Because I don't need to know how other churches did it. I need my mentality to be, I want to know that I did everything that I could do to lift up Jesus today in the moment. And I don't need the comparison game. And you don't either. We need a self-evaluation. Am I lifting up Jesus? Don't worry about what other people are doing. Don't worry about what other churches are doing. And if you hear about another church in town that saw 500 people saved today, say, awesome, praise the Lord. Don't get jealous. We told him to stop Jesus because he's not doing it like we do it. Who cares if it brings people to Jesus? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, Paul brought this into perspective and he said, So then neither is he that planteth anything nor he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. 
if God blesses it, why am I criticizing it? I love this. I wrote this down. You won't find anywhere in Scripture that tells us that Jesus was white, a Republican, an American, that he was a Baptist. But we see a lot that says he's the Savior, and if people will turn to him, they'll be saved. Hey, stop trying to put Jesus in your box. The last time I saw him go into a box, an enclosed space, he broke out. Just to prove that he wasn't meant for the box. And he's not meant for your box. Let him out. Think about our life today. Jesus said there's only two sides to be a part of. Look at verse number 39. Jesus said, forbid him not. Why are you doing that, guys? For he that there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. If he's doing something and God is allowing it and he's doing it in my name, that's not evil, that's good. Look at verse number 40. For he that's not against us is on our part. He made it very clear. There are two sides. There's Jesus' side and everybody else. The main thing that we can ask people when they say, I'm a Christian, well, who's Jesus? Because that tells you if they're really a follower of Jesus. Because he is the dividing line. If Jesus is a good man, if he's a good teacher, if he's a good prophet, if he's anything other than the Son of God and the Savior, that's not a Christian. He has to be the Savior to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He is the dividing line. So today, you're either with Jesus or you're not. You're either saved or you're lost. There's no other place. So which one are you? There's the followers and their faithfulness that he talks about. Verse 41, For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not receive his reward. He's still talking about faithfulness, but he's talking about being rewarded, not for fruit, but for faithfulness. There's going to be a whole lot of people a whole lot further up the line than we are in heaven when we stand before God one day who didn't have as much fruit that we see, but they were faithful when we weren't. We're not being rewarded for fruit. You and I are not being rewarded based on what we do. We're being rewarded based on why we do it. We're being rewarded. Are we faithful? And Jesus gives the simplest Example, he said, if you carry a cup of cold water in my name, there's a reward. If you're faithful to do that, there's a reward. And almost anybody can carry a cup of cold water. Anybody. There's no task too big, no job too small when it comes to being found faithful. You might be here this morning and say, Pastor, me standing at the door and just saying, here's a handout, here's a handout, here's a, here's a card. This is meaning. Why am I doing this? You might think working in the nursery is a waste of time. You might think sitting beside a kid in safe house, man, that's so beneath you. It has no impact. But per, for the person who's thirsty, it makes a huge difference. You ever been out mowing the grass and you say, hey, honey, get me some water. Kids, get me a bottle of Gatorade. For the person who's thirsty, that little bit of liquid to quench your thirst makes a big difference. And that's what we're doing when we serve. We're providing a drink of water to those who are thirsty. But are we faithful? Are we faithful to do it? Luke 16, verse 10, Jesus said, He that's faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that's unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If we're not going to be faithful in the small things, then how can we be trusted with the big things? Jesus, or, uh, P- Peter said, 
1 Corinthians 11, 1, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. We're all in this together. We all have something to learn as we're walking with him. Our focus should be faithfulness as I walk with him. Am I spending time in his word faithfully each day, praying faithfully each day, a witness faithfully at every opportunity, every chance, serving faithfully to the tasks he set before me? And how can I be faithful if I'm not doing anything? If I'm not doing anything for him, if I'm not serving in any capacity, how can I be found faithful if I'm not doing anything? Whether that's safe house or nursery or serving on the sound team or first impressions or driving around a golf cart or working on safety team, it doesn't matter. Are you faithful? That's the bottom line. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2. Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Not that you can say, man, I served every single Sunday for 48 years. Here's all my pens. Some of you grew up in churches like that. I did too. Hey, it's not about your service. It's about your faithfulness. Are you faithful? If Jesus were to look down at your life and judge you today, would he say faithful? Or would he say unfaithful? We see the dispute. They're arguing back and forth. Who's first? Who's last? We see this distinction. Jesus is saying, hey, it's not about what you do, but it's the motivation behind what you do. It. It's how you do it. And then he closes with the directive. Verse 42 through 50. Jesus is talking about stumbling blocks. And he gets in this conversation. He's going back to their argument. He's going to circle back around, bring it all together. But he talks about the legacy in verse 42. Jesus gives this graphic detail about what would happen when an offense takes place. Whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it's better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and were cast into the sea. And when he talks about little ones, he's not talking about children's church. He's not talking about Sunday school kids. He's talking about young believers. And if you think about context, Jesus' ministry was so young that everybody who believed in Jesus at this point is a young believer. So he's saying that everyone, if you offend someone, if you distract or detract or take away from someone's faith, it's better that your legacy was that you never lived at all. That's what Jesus is saying. And he's saying you spend so much time talking about who's going to be first, who's going to be last. None of that matters. Don't take away from others' faith. Remember Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. There's some people, that's their focus, is how can they put another notch on their spiritual belt? It's not about that. It's about faithfulness. He spent time, all these things. Think about all the false teachers in the world that take the Word of God, and they twist it to their own method, their own thought process. But the way that we live out our walk with Jesus matters because others are watching. Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, we know the verse. Rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith. Theme verse several years ago. As you've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. But the very next verse is the important one. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. The things that we've always done, we've always done it this way. That's the way we should do it. The way we've always done it. You know what? This isn't spiritual, but let's just do it anyway. It draws a crowd. But after Christ. Hey, you're going to pick one of those ways to serve. 
Am I serving because, yep, I'm going to do this because I've always done it and there's no change. Nobody's going to convince me otherwise. Am I serving because, you know what, I don't really care. It's not making a difference, but who needs, you know, whatever. Or am I saying, you know what, God has given me an opportunity and because he loves me and he served me first, I'm going to serve him in return. And that's my motivation. That's my focus. Not so that other people can see me or congratulate me or tell me they're proud of me or pat me on the back. My motivation is because of what he's done for me. And I want to serve him because he served me. That's why I do what I do. We all serve with motivation in the back of my mind. But what's your motivation? What's the reason for your service? And what is your legacy going to be based on? I can think about people in my life who the only times that I remember about them are times where we talked about sports. People in my life that I think, man, what a great knowledge that they had for a game or for this pastime or for history or other things. And that's all I remember. But you and I also know those people in our life who said, man, you know, they never had a lot of money. Most people don't even know who they are. But man, they walk with God. And when I had a prayer request or a burden, that's the person I went and talked to. When I was struggling or hurting, that's the person I wanted praying for me. We all know people like that because they left a legacy in your life of someone who was faithful. There it is. The legacy. But then he talks about the loss in verse 43 through 48. He gives that contrast four different times. He says, it's better, it's better, it's better. And Jesus in this passage is not talking about physical mutilation. He's talking about spiritual mortification. He says, if your eye offends thee, pluck it out. If your hand offends thee, cut it off. If your foot leads you to bad places, take it off. Because it's better if you go into the afterlife, your spiritual uh, home. After this life, it's better for you to go there without one of those extremities than to end up completely whole in a place that doesn't have God. He talks about it's better. Romans chapter 8, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. The word mortify means to be put to death or to kill, to cut it off. And Jesus is saying, hey, it's better if you separate that part of your life and live without that fleshly desire than to go into eternity with regret. It's better to cut it off now. It's better. He's talking about purity versus punishment. Are you willing to forsake your flesh now for the purpose of gain later? Are your feet places and taking you places they shouldn't go? Are your eyes seeing things that they shouldn't see? Are you saying, you know what, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna ask somebody if this is a place that I should go first. I'm gonna make sure I, if that means I have to take my smartphone and I have to turn it off so that my eyes don't see things that would bring my spouse shame. And if I have to let somebody else do what I'm doing, because the way I'm pointing people with my hands, it's pointing them in the wrong direction. And I want somebody to point people to Jesus, and I'm not doing that right now. So I'm gonna look lose that position because it's causing other people to stray. Remember Paul said Galatians 2:20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Are you willing to give of yourself? David Platt said, 
In our world today, we're settling for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves when the central message of Christianity is actually about abandoning ourselves. Are you putting self, self to death every single day? In our life today, we see the liability, lastly this morning, the liability In verse 49 and 50, Jesus said, For everyone shall be salted with fire, every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt is lost its saltness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves. And here's the final circle, and have peace one with another. Remember what they were arguing about? Who's going to be first? Who's going to be last? And Jesus said, Guys, it's not about that. Can you still be effective? If you're not going to work together, if you're more concerned about who's got the title rather than who's going to be faithful, you're never going to work together. You're never going to have peace. Have salt in yourselves. The Jews weren't allowed to put leaven or yeast on their sacrifices. They were required to put salt. It was a preservation. It was a purification. And the disciples were in danger of losing that because they were arguing together. Hey, our position means nothing. Our permanence is everything. Our titles are worthless. Our teamwork is vital. We have to work together. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. That picture is when you go to the door and you open the door for someone else, preferring one another. You go first. That's what that is. But in verse number 18, it says, that same chapter, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. As much as lieth in you. That's even when you don't want to. As much as lieth in you. Are you struggling with your walk with the Lord because you're trying to do it your way and not His? Are you struggling in your walk with the Lord because you're not working together? Rather, you're saying, hey, I'm going to do this all by myself because nobody will do it like I will. We all have gifts and abilities. But just that great reminder, nobody does it like you do. And that's okay. Because when we work together, we're not supposed to do it our way. We're supposed to do it His way. And you know what His way means? We all work together. There are no solo Christians. We were meant to be lived in community. We were meant to serve together. One another. Over and over and over in Scripture. We need each other. Are we assigning false value to yourself? Hey, man, look at all this. Look at all what I am, Jesus. Aren't you glad to have me? Or are you looking within and saying, I'm going to fix true value to somebody. The value that he assigns. And then I'm going to work together with others to see his plan accomplished instead of my own. Hey, it starts right here. It starts with self. It starts with that self-evaluation saying, am I looking at myself and thinking that I'm too big for my britches? Am I looking at myself saying that other people owe me something? Am I serving with that mentality of, I need to be first and others last? Or am I willing to serve first knowing that it's okay if everybody else goes first? I'm good with that. God will make it right one day. Because at the end of my life, 
My goal is to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's my purpose. That's my goal. And I hope that that's yours today. Let's bow our heads and pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed, we're going to sing in just a moment. But, you know, we talk about teamwork, working together. That starts with being on the team. Has there been a time in your life where you've placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Has there been a time in your life where you've invited Him into your life? You've recognized your spiritual need, knowing that you cannot go any further on your own, and you've placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Has there been that time in your life? Hey, that looks different for everybody. But that's also understanding that you have a spiritual need, and Jesus is the answer. Maybe that's you today. Maybe that's your spiritual need. And in this moment, right now, before we sing another song, before we head out of here today, do you recognize that you have a need? Maybe some of you already have, and you've recognized that Jesus is the answer for your life, and you've called out to Him for salvation. But maybe in this moment, you're trying to do it all on your own without working as a team. Or maybe you're like the disciples. You remember those people who walked with Jesus every single day? Who still struggled with who should be first and who should be last? If those guys struggled with it, that's a good indication that we'll probably struggle with it too. Hey, do you see your place as a servant first? We'll get to leadership eventually, but do you see yourself as a servant first? And if through this passage, maybe the Lord has spoken to your heart and pinged something within you, would you talk right now with the Lord and talk to Him about what He spoke to you about? And just simply confess it. Ask Him to forgive you. And then show you what to do next. Our personal workers are standing in the back. would love to talk to you after the service. Whatever you need, if you need to talk to Him right now, invite you just to get up wherever you are. Slide to the back and talk to them. They'll pray with you. Whatever your need is, talk to the Lord this morning. Do what God wants you to do today. Don't delay. Whatever that looks like, just talk to Him. Father, please bless our time of invitation. Thank you for the fact that all of what we talked about today begins at the cross. Lord, I ask that you please help us to come to the cross today and get a fresh picture, a fresh glimpse of what you did for us. Look at the New Testament and how New Testament believers, we look back at the cross knowing what you did for us. People in the Old Testament, they had to look ahead and wonder what would happen. But Lord, we know what lengths you were willing to go to to buy us back. Because you desired a relationship with us. And Lord, because of that desire, because of that love, because of that display, help us to serve others. Knowing that we're not first. And we don't need to be and shouldn't be. Help us to be satisfied with just being faithful and being a faithful servant. Please bless our time of invitation. Speak to hearts as only you can. And whatever the spiritual need is in every heart and life represented here, online, please meet the need. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us, please. Pastor Tim's going to come and lead us in that song we sang earlier. There's a place where mercy reigns, never dies. Let's sing it together.